a lot of times when you're looking at these uh, types of programs, it doesn't necessarily matter from what the state's input is, we just want to run this program. But I think what this project is showing is that it demonstrates the importance of having the agency that's responsible for the program to have a say in prioritizing how their program is rolled out. Snappy and T is really kind of a best kept secret. A lot of folks don't know about it. And that's part of um, what we're trying to do as part of this grant initiative that we're working on is get the message out there. Community colleges are already providing these services. There's no need to create new programs or anything like that. You're already doing it. So there's an opportunity for you to leverage that and receive some reimbursement funding for, for what you're already doing. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Kaylee Woods. On this episode of In the Know, Steve Jurch, Director for the Center of Policy and Practice at ACCT, takes a closer look into our joint SNAP ENT grant partnership with the American Public Human Services Association. Brandy Wisman joins us as a guest to discuss the importance of third-party partnerships within the SNAP ENT landscape. My name is Steve Jurch, and I'm the director of the Center for Policy and Practice here at ACCT. And today I'm joined by Brandy Wisman, Senior Policy Analyst for the American Public Human Services Association, or APHSA for short. Brandy has been an outstanding partner of ours and is just an all-around amazing person who really cares about helping people improve their lives and achieve economic independence. So today we're here to talk about a project, building a national approach to SNAP ENT third-party partnerships. And for the past two, two and a half years, ACCT has been a partner in this project with APHSA as part of a national partnership grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food and Nutrition Services around SNAP employment and training. So we wanted to share uh, a little bit about what's been going on, but I think it would be helpful to, to start by taking a step back and talk a little bit about APHSA and what they do to help frame the conversation. So welcome, Brandy. Appreciate you being here with us. Hi, Steve. So happy to be here. So there's been a lot of discussion recently about around public benefits, um, many of which involve the organizations you represent. So I think it, it's a good place to start by just telling us a little bit about who APHSA is, what's their mission, who are their members, and just any other general information about the organization. Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, we're the American Public Human Services Association, which is a mouthful. Um, so we go by APHSA, and we support leaders from state, county, and local human service agencies um, to really advance the well-being of individuals, families, and communities nationwide. Um, all of our work is viewed through a race equity lens, and in partnership with our members, we influence modern approaches to sound policy, build capacity of public agencies to enable them to better serve families and communities. And we also connect leaders and um, our national partnership organizations to accelerate learning and generate practical solutions together. So the easiest way to think about that is we're APHSA. We seek to influence, build, and connect. That's really what we're here to do. Awesome. No, I think that's fantastic. And it's an important um it's an important thing, service to provide all of the uh, human service agencies. And so you mentioned human service agencies. So 
I don't know if you can share a little bit about what they may do in a state and then also how are they connected to um, SNAP ENT, which is the uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, Employment and Training. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of folks may have already uh, be well acquainted with SNAP, um, which is a, a program that addresses food insecurity. So SNAP employment and training is sort of a, a program nestled within that for folks who are receiving SNAP. Um, and what they can do is engage in employment and training to put them on a path to economic mobility and stability. And the way that health and human service agencies really kind of play into that is this program is administered by health and human service agencies. Um, so if you think about it broadly, FNS, USDA, and then FNS are sort of overarching. And then they uh, provide states with broad autonomy in how they can operate their programs. Um, and so really SNAP employment and training exists as part of a broader state workforce development system, which is comprised of a lot of entities, including health and or yeah, including health and human service agencies, as well as um, Department of Labor, which may be called different things in different states. We all kind of know um, states have different ways that they name their agencies, um, but that's really how it exists. It, it's all administered through health and human services, and then it sort of works its way down into um, the third party partnership or provider model, which we'll, I, I believe we're going to talk about later. Actually, yes, you're correct. And I think that's, you know, important to point out is that, and and if I'm correct, all human service agencies at the state level are required to administer a SNAP and SNAP ENT program um, from the federal, it's a federal requirement. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you could, you know, obviously we're here to talk about um, SNAP ENT. So for our listeners who may not know what that is, can you just give us a brief overview of what SNAP employment and training actually is? Yeah, absolutely. And what you said earlier is 100% correct. Each state is required to operate a SNAP employment and training program. How they do so is really kind of up to them. Um, and what SNAP employment and training really does is it assesses and places people receiving those um, SNAP benefits that we talked about into skills building and training programs with the ultimate goal of helping participants move forward on a path to economic mobility. Um, part of what SNAP employment and training does is uh, identify and examine barriers to employment. And what makes it a little bit unique is that it provides supportive services around transportation and childcare assistance. So if you think about it holistically, it's not really just about placing people in a job. It's about placing people in what we call a quality job. And the best way that you can do that is providing supportive services, which are sometimes called wraparound services. And those things include transportation. It can be childcare assistance. In some cases, it's housing. Um, but it's really there to help the participants gain and then also maintain employment in, as we just talked about, a quality job. Um, what that ultimately does is it contributes to the local economy and can really address economic recovery as we start to bounce back from COVID and sort of all those um, pieces that happened with that. No, that's actually, that's a really helpful overview. And I think, you know, when you mentioned HHS uh, agencies or, or human service agencies at the state level, you know, they're responsible for a lot of different programs 
that serve families taking, facing adversity. So this is just one of those programs out of many. So, you know, based on our experience and what we're, you know, how we're working through this um, project together, it's a very unique program. Um, and there's been a lot of, um, you know, I'm learning it's very different than other types of state administered programs. So can you talk a little bit about what makes it different? And then if it's, you know, one of these programs that people should be a third party partnership or provider, why are there not more organizations becoming third party providers? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. So I think um, starting with what makes it different, you know, we talked a little bit about those supportive pieces, those supportive services, wraparound services, um, different people call it different things. I think that's one of the key pieces in this program is that it does provide an opportunity for especially community colleges to be able to assist students um, with those things that they need to be to show up as a student and be fully engaged in the training. Um, and the way it does that is through uh, reimbursement funding. It's a 50-50 model. Um, it can be a little confusing. I know that we've done a couple of trainings on this. So happy to share out a link later for folks to be able to learn more about that funding model. But basically, it, it provides a reimbursement to um, third party providers who are providing these supportive services. So in the case of childcare, it will do um, a reimbursement funding for that. So I think that's a piece that's unique about it. I think the other piece is really utilizing um, what I call community experts through the third party provider program. So really um, going into the community, uh, identifying different organizations, be it a community college, a community action agency, or a community-based organization, um, and utilizing them to provide these services, which sort of has this really interesting ripple effect, I think, because when you engage with a community provider, they're the experts in their community, really. So it's, it's not the state providing these services in most cases. It's people who are in the community. So they know the people in the community. They also know what the local needs are, as well as what the local labor market looks like. So it, it really creates this really kind of interesting ecosystem um, that is comprised of all these stakeholders that ultimately benefits the student. So that's part of why it's different. And then the second part I think you asked is why are more organizations not becoming third-party providers? I think there's a couple of reasons. And I think the biggest one is I feel like SNAP ENT is really kind of a best kept secret. A lot of folks don't know about it. And that's part of um, what we're trying to do as part of this grant initiative that we're working on is get the message out there that community colleges are already providing these services. There's no need to create new programs or anything like that. You're already doing it. So there's an opportunity for you to leverage that and receive some reimbursement funding for, for what you're already doing. Um, so I think that's the biggest takeaway I have is that just not a lot of people know about SNAP employment and training. And I do think that there is some challenges in identifying how you might um, budget because it is a reimbursement program. So that can be a little bit tricky, but that's part of what we're addressing through our national partnership grant is how you might be able to do that. No, thanks for that insight. That's great. And I think it, and, and from our experience as well, I think, 
you know, one of the things we hear a lot is this program is much more flexible than other um, state administered um, state administered programs. And it seems a lot. It's like like you mentioned earlier, you can count, you can meet the participant where they are. So it's not a one size fits all program by any means. And I think that, you know, community colleges, like you mentioned, are already providing, they have the infrastructure in place and they're already providing those support services, the technical training piece. Um, you know, they have a, I don't want to call it a captured audience, but they have a population already on campus, many of whom would qualify for these these types of benefits and, and bringing awareness to it, I think is is a great way you know, great first step. So APHSA was uh, the lead grantee on um, a national partnership grant from Food Nutrition Services. Why did APHSA want to apply for this grant? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because for a couple of reasons. So we're a membership association for health and human service agencies, as I mentioned before. Um, we, unlike ACCT, whose um, membership is comprised of community college trustees who oversee community colleges, which would ultimately become third party providers, health and human service agencies aren't going to become third party providers. That's not how the model works. So it was kind of interesting to me um, when I learned that we had applied for this grant. But as we started talking more about it, it I developed this understanding of, oh, and had these aha moments of, as a membership association, we really wanted to bring the perspective to the table um, of states in any conversations around SNAP employment and training. Because as we talked about earlier, while FNS oversees SNAP employment and training, states have that broad autonomy. So what that translates to is they select the third-party providers and any other partnerships they may have, um, not food and nutrition services. So we thought that it was very important for our members to sort of have a seat at the table and um, be involved in the conversations to really help bolster um, the opportunity there for a provider. And we've talked about this a little bit as well, um, but part of SNAP employment and training and part of really understanding it is there's this kind of saying that if you've seen one SNAP employment and training program, you've seen one SNAP employment and training program because every state operates it very differently. And so what we're able to do through our membership is bring those states to the table um, and really start to have conversations with them about how they um, view SNAP ENT and uh, what their strategic vision is for the future. If there's any sort of population that they really would like to um, address through SNAP employment and training. So a lot of the conversations in states have centered around rural providers, and I have a lot of trouble saying the word rural, so apologies if y'all can't understand me. Um, but that has been sort of essential, um, an essential gap to the community colleges that operate in rural areas that could really sort of fill those gaps. Um, so it's been really interesting bringing that state perspective to the table um, because as I said there's just there there are so many different ways that the that we see this program sort of play out in each state and it's really dependent on that state's sort of strategic vision as well as their population um, leadership there are so many things that sort of impact what a snap ENT program looks like in a state 
I, I mean, I think that's um, it's an important perspective to bring to the table. I think a lot of times when you're looking at these uh, types of programs, it doesn't necessarily matter from what the state's input is. We just want to run this program. But I think what this project is showing is that it, it demonstrates the importance of having the agency that's responsible for the program to have a say in, in sort of prioritizing how their program is rolled out. And so I don't know if you have, if you can provide some, an overview of like how the program is structured or the project is structured, you know, what you're trying to accomplish with this national partnership grant. Sure. Um, so we talked a little bit about uh, APHSA being the lead grantee. Um, what I haven't mentioned a whole lot about and what I'm really excited to sort of toot the horn of, so to speak, is our our partnerships with ACCT um, and with NCAP. So NCAP is the National Community Action Partnership, and they represent uh, community action agencies. And of course, you know, ACCT is Association of Community College Trustees. So um, what we are hoping to do is by leveraging NCAP and ACCT's membership network, um, looking at expanding third-party providers in states. Um, and so we've sort of uh, looked at that in a couple of different ways. Uh, we identified a couple of target states. I think we have 10 target states where we um, started having conversations with the state to make sure that their strategic vision aligned with um, community colleges and community action agencies as providers. Um, and so what we've really done here is uh, built this technical assistance cohort. Um, one is comprised of community colleges and one is comprised of community action agencies. And you may be wondering why we didn't sort of smush them together into one cohort. And there are a couple of different reasons. One, uh, we have about 20 in each cohort and 40 folks learning together could be a little unwieldy and overwhelming. And two, the approaches that a community college um, may take to become a provider or ultimately serve as a provider and try to expand or enhance any services they're providing is probably going to be a little bit different from a community action agency and how they approach the work. Um, just because there are, are different sort of um, factors that play into that. And a couple of those could be, you know, capacity, administrative capacity of each organization, um, the funding structure, how they receive funding. Um, so we talked a little bit about that reimbursement funding component that we talked about. So in order to be reimbursed, the the money that is sort of fronted, so to speak, is uh, needs to be um, non-federal funds. And so a community action agency's funding structure is going to look very different from a community college's. Um, so we sort of split these cohorts out and began providing technical assistance for them in 2021. And uh, since then have really sort of grown this network of um, potential providers and, and in, embedded in that are, are community colleges and community action agencies that are current providers as well. And what we've been able to do with that is look at the services they're providing and see how we might um, make their lives a little easier or grow their program. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Seattle Jobs Initiative, known as SJI. They are the experts in this space, and they've provided the technical assistance on this project. Um, and it's just really sort of been interesting to see these cohorts grow and, and learn. And um, part of what has come out of that 
is our SNAP Employment and Training Clearinghouse. Um, so it's basically a website, a repository of resources that if you're interested in becoming a provider, um, I suggest that you check out. Uh, we have, I, I would really, really like to plug the um, roadmaps that we have. So we have two roadmaps. One is um, geared toward community colleges and one is geared toward community action agencies. And they're a three-part series and you can sort of start at the beginning if you're not a current provider and it will walk you through um, some things to consider if you're interested in becoming a provider. Um, and then moving on to two and three, those are really sort of opportunities to, if you're currently a provider, enhance what services you may have. Um, so there's just been a lot of really good technical assistance tools that came out of this project, um, as well as the other grantees. You know, there's, I think at this point, eight of us, I think, on this project that's sort of um, rolled into different iterations and just it's just been really collaborative and we've all worked together to sort of create these technical assistance tools. I think it's a great model bringing in the, you know, you talked about SGI being the content experts and then you've talked about the community action agencies and the community colleges sort of taking that expertise and helping the colleges assimilate it into their processes because they do look different and, you know, even from the community college perspective, each campus is different. So I think it's it's having all the right people at the table, uh, designing these, these um, third-party providers models that really makes it successful. And so I, I think you touched on this earlier, but from the human services perspective, why are community colleges or what makes community colleges a good fit as a SNAP ENT provider? I think there are a lot of reasons. One, um, community colleges serve as a support system for students in a way. And that sort of aligns with SNAP employment and training and the SNAP program in and of itself. They both serve as critical support for students as well. Um, SNAP obviously addresses food insecurity for students and SNAP employment and training um, can be leveraged to address uh, things like tuition, books, childcare assistance, transportation, all those things that a student really needs to show up and be ready to engage in learning. So I really see community colleges as a natural fit in that because they're already providing training and educational uh, opportunities. And then another piece of that is community colleges are really sort of these unique little barometers into current labor market trends. Um, and so really seeing, you know, we talked about these quality jobs, community colleges are experts at that. They're experts at identifying those sort of jobs that are um, popping up or maybe popping up soon. You know, I've heard about uh, a college down in Mississippi that was able to sort of look at um, underwater drones and it hadn't even been a thing in Mississippi. And they were able to anticipate that it would be coming to Mississippi and start uh, the process for um, building out what a program like that would look like. So when industry came into the state, there were already folks trained there that could do those programs. Um, and, and another uh, example of that, again, in Mississippi, I've done a lot of work in Mississippi, so I have a ton of Mississippi examples, um, is uh, microchips. So the microchips that are in your cars, um, really looking at that as an emerging uh, labor market trend and getting um, students 
trained in that so that when industry comes there there's already people it does it does a couple of things one it trains people for quality jobs but it also attracts industry because there's ready made folks there that can go ahead and engage and be ready to sort of take off running when the industry is there. And it's just this unique lens that community colleges have. They, they're really embedded in that um, local labor market. And then on top of that, um, community colleges are also really great at building partnerships. So, you know, one of the things in SNAP is, is maybe a community college is not going to have the opportunity to provide childcare assistance because that's not, that's just not something that they have on campus. But what they might do is partner up with a community action agency that can provide those supportive services. And what we've seen with community colleges is that they, they have a um, sort of natural fit into the space with being able to partner with organizations that can best serve their students. And I think, you know, they just, Community colleges just tend to have a broader um, reach in a local community than some community-based organizations. And that's not, um, you know, a knock on any CBOs because they're an important piece of this. But I think that community colleges almost have, you know, that one-stop shop mentality or, or ability, you know, with the with all of the services they're providing the students on top of the technical training piece. And if they don't offer that, chances are they have a partnership in existence to provide, to fill in that, you know, service gap. So I think, you know, community colleges do make a, a great third-party partner uh, or provider. And I think one of the things community colleges do well is they work well in their local communities with other agencies like their local workforce boards. But I would sometimes they would overlook the importance of a relationship with the, the state human services agency. So what are some ways that community colleges can establish that strong relationship with human service agencies? And then if they are, are struggling, like how can APHSA help with that? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a big fan and Steve, you know this about me after working together. Uh, boy, it's been a year and a half, almost two years. Yes. It seems yeah, like almost two, I, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of relationships. I think it's really important to establish a relationship with someone um, because once you establish that relationship, you're able to ask those questions that you have that may seem silly, but once you have established that trusted relationship, you're not really afraid to ask those questions anymore. Um, so I would say your, your first stop is your health and human service agencies locally. Um, get to know them, get to know your county health and human services folks, and then also your state folks. Um, I realize that's hard, right? Because cold calling is not anyone's idea of a good time. Um, cold emailing is the same thing. Uh, what APHSA can do is our members have in some ways become our friends. And in a lot of ways, um, ACCT's membership, a lot of folks have become my friends as well. So the friends of my friends become my friends. And so that's what APHSA can do. I talked a lot about connecting earlier um, that's what we do. We connect folks. That's what we're here to do because by building these strong third-party partnerships, it's really helping our memberships. That's what we're trying to do here is help our memberships. And we do that by growing this program. We're always happy to connect community colleges or any other organization 
um, with our members, the health and human service agencies, the local agencies as well, and facilitate conversations if you need us to. Um, I, I am never too busy to take a phone call. I love phone calls. Uh, please feel free to, to call me anytime or shoot me an email, and I'm happy to get you connected with um, whomever you need to be connected with to sort of continue um, either exploring if you want to become a third-party provider or if you're um, imminent to apply even. And um, we're happy to facilitate those connections. Um, and for those of you listening, um, APHSA's website is aphsa.org. Uh, and you can learn more about the organization. You can learn about the projects. There's several events, um, you know, that they put on each year that would be helpful to a variety of different audiences. I would just like to take a few seconds to thank Brandy Wisman so much for joining us, um, providing this great information, uh, both on SNAP employment and training, on APHSA, and then on the project that um, they are leading. Um, and so, Brandy, do you have any last thoughts? I, you know me, Steve. I always have last thoughts. Um, if you have any questions, uh, when I say reach out to me, I, I'm being 100% serious. Please feel free to reach out. Um, and I really do want to thank ACCT for this um, opportunity to talk about SNAP employment and training. As we talked about, it's such a little known program and part of my job is to make sure that folks know about it and can at least determine if it's a good fit for them or not. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, and we'll look forward to our continued partnership.